Mere Christianity, Chapter 3, The Reality of the Law. I now go back to what I said at the end of the first chapter, that there were two odd things about the human race. First, that they were haunted by the idea of a sort of behavior that they ought to practice, what you might call fair play or decency and morality or the law of nature. Secondly, they did not, in fact, do so. Now, some of you may wonder why I call it this odd. It may seem to you that most natural things in the world, in particular, you have thought I was rather hard on the human race. After all, you may say what I call the breaking the law of right and wrong or of nature only means that people are not perfect. And why on earth should I expect them to be? This would be a good answer if what I was trying to do was to fix the exact amount of blame which is due to us for not behaving as we expect others to behave. But that is not my job at all. I am not concerned at present with blame. I am trying to find out truth. And from that point of view, the very idea of something being imperfect, of its not being what it ought to be, has certain consequences. If you take a thing like a stone or a tree, it is what it is, and there seems no sense in saying it ought to have been otherwise. Of course, you may say a stone is the wrong shape if you want to use it for rockery, or that a tree is a bad tree because it does not give you as much shade as you expected, but all you mean is that the stone or tree does not happen to be convenient for some purposes of your own. You are not, except as a joke, blaming them for that. You really know that given the weather, the soil, and the tree could not have been any different. What we, from our point of view, call a bad tree is obeying the laws of its nature, just as much as a good one. Now, have you noticed what falls? It falls that what we usually call the law of nature the way weather works on a tree, for example, may not really be laws in the strict sense, but only in a manner of speaking. When you say that falling stones always obey the law of gravitation, is not this much the same as saying that the law only means what stones always do? You do not really think that when a stone is let go, it suddenly remembers that it is under orders to fall to the ground. You only mean that, in fact, it does fall. In other words, you cannot be sure that there is anything over the or above the facts themselves. Any law about what ought to happen is distinct from what does happen. The law of nature as applied to stones or trees may only mean what nature in fact does. But if you turn to the law of human nature, the law of decent behavior, it is different matter. The law certainly does not mean what human beings in fact do. Think of for as I said before, many of them do not obey this law at all, and none of them obey it completely. The law of gravity tells you that stones do if you drop them, but the law of human nature tells you what human beings ought to do and do not. In other words, when you are dealing with humans, some things else comes in above and beyond the actual facts. You have the facts, how men do behave, and you also have something else, how they ought to behave. In the rest of the universe, there needs not be anything but the facts. Electrons and molecules behave in a certain way, and certain results follow, and maybe the whole story. But men behave in a certain way, and that is not the whole story. For all the time, you know that they ought to behave differently. Now, this is really so peculiar that one is tempted to try to explain it away. For instance, we might try to make out the same that when you say a man ought not to act as he does, you only mean that <clears throat> you only mean the same as when you say that a stone is the wrong shape. 
mainly that when he is doing what he is doing happens to be inconvenient to you. But that is simply untrue. A man occupying the corner seat in the train because he got there first, and a man who slipped into it while my back was turned to remove my bag are both equally inconvenient. But I blame the second man and do not blame the first. I am not angry except perhaps for a moment before I came to my senses with a man who trips me up by accident. I am angry with a man who tries to trip me up even if he does not succeed. Winifred. Shh. Yes, the first has hurt me and the second has not. Sometimes the behavior which I call bad is not inconvenient to me at all, but the very opposite. And more, each side may find a traitor on the other side very useful. But though they use him and pay him, they regard him as a human vermin. So you cannot say that what we call decent behavior in others is simply the behavior that happens to be useful to us. And as for decent behavior in ourselves, I suppose it is pretty obvious that it does not mean the behavior that pays. It means things that being content with 30 shillings when you might have got 3 pounds, doing schoolwork honestly when it would be easier to cheat, leaving a girl alone when you would like to tease her, Stay, staying in dangerous places when you should go somewhere safer, Keeping promises you would rather not keep and telling the truth even when it makes you look a fool. Some people say that though decent conduct does not mean that they pay each particular person at a particular moment. Still, it means that pays the human race as a whole and that consequently there's no mystery about it. Human beings, after all, have some sense. They say that you cannot have real safety or happiness except in a society where everyone plays fair, and it is because they see, see this that they try to behave decently. Now, of course, it is perfectly true that safety and happiness can only come from individual classes and nations being honest and fair and kind to each other. It is one of the most important truths of the world, but as an explanation of why we feel as we do about rights and wrongs, it just misses the point. If we ask, why ought I to be unselfish, and you reply, because it is good for society, we may then ask, why should I care what's good for society except when it happens to pay me personally? And then you'll have to say, because you ought to be unselfish, which simply brings us back to where we started. You're saying what is true, but you're not getting any further. If a man asks what the point of the playing football, it would be not be much good saying in order to score goals, for trying to score goals is the game itself, not the reason for the game. Edward, come sit down. Edward Charles, come sit down. And would you really only be saying the football was football, which is true, but not worth saying? In the same way, if a man asks, what is the point of behaving decently, it is no good replying in order to benefit society. For trying to benefit society, in other words, being unselfish, for society, after all, only means other people, is one of the things decent behavior can insist in. All you're really saying is that decent behavior is decent behavior. You would have said just as much as you stopped at the statement, man ought to be unselfish. And this is where I do stop. Men ought to be unselfish, ought to be fair. Not that men are unselfish, not that they like being unselfish, but they ought to be. That moral law or law of human nature is not simply a fact about human behavior in the same way as the law of gravitation is, or may be simply a fact about how objects behave. On the other hand, it is not merely fancy, for we cannot 
get rid of the idea and most of the things we say and think about men would be reduced to nonsense if we did. And it is not simply a statement about how we should like men to behave for our own convenience, for the behavior we call bad or unfair. It is not exactly the same as the behavior Alphonse know we find inconvenient and may even be the opposite. Consequently, this rule of right and wrong or law of human nature or whatever you call it must somehow or other be a real thing, a thing that is really there, not made up by ourselves, and yet it is not a fact in the ordinary sense, in the same way as our actual behavior is a fact. It begins to look as if we shall have to admit that there is more than one kind of reality, that in this particular case, <clears throat> there is something above and beyond the ordinary facts of men's behavior, and yet quite definitely real, a real law which none of us made, but we find pressing on us. And that is the end of chapter 3.